where we watch your favorite indie movies, genre films, and we talk about all the good content. I am your host, Lydia, and across the internet is my co-host... Joseph, hello. Hello. See, my intros always have more energy than yours. Oh my god, yeah. I, we both sound like delusionally different people. I know. While introing, though. I know, it's true, it's true. I have way more energy, and then we actually start recording, I'm just, or like... Obviously, we're already recording. But when we actually start having a conversation, I sound like such a bitch. <laughs> like, I sound so um, friendly in the opening, and then we start recording, and I'm like, what do you want, you fuckhead? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's not too different from real life. <laughs> Fair. I go from customer service voice to just, like, straight bitch. So, these last couple of weeks have been a lot. I, Yeah. I don't even know. Like, I don't even know where to start with it. This year has been a whirlwind. We are we are six months in, five months in to 2020. Mm-hmm. And, like, Australia has been on fire. The Antarctic is melting. The Amazon's gone on fire. Amazon in California has gone on fire. Everything's going on fire. <laughs> We've had COVID. Killer hornets. The largest brood I heard of locusts ever recorded in Africa. It's apocalyptic. Three trillion, I I don't know what they're called, June bugs, cicadas are coming soon. Three trillion cicadas. And, you know, the revolution, which at least that's (laughs) good-ish. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, it, good is a strong word for it. But I mean, it is... I don't mean good, good sounds flippant. No, I'm course. not trying to be flippant about it. Um, I'm not saying it's, oh, well, that's good. It's like, it's, it's a long time coming and it exactly. is already affecting very meaningful change. So I think regardless of how you want to like define good, I think it's meaningful. It's, in, it's historic. And it's incredibly important. I want to say, yeah, so we're at this point, we don't know when we're going to put this podcast up, but we're at around the two week mark for protests yeah. um, going on uh, for Black Lives Matter in particular. Yeah. And it's firstly to me, it's just it's incredible how it's it's actually taken root, you know, mm-hmm. Occupy Wall Street also had long-term protests. That's the only other one I could think of recently that had... In our and, lifetime. Uh, Hong Kong. Yeah. Yes. But, Hong- yeah. but, like, in North um, America. Occupy in North America. Wall Street. Yeah. Um, but there's just this feeling that so often, um, recently, there's been movements where people get some energy and, um, you know, a few hashtags are put on Twitter, a few things happen. And it, and it does matter. Um, but... The waves are so quick. They're so um, 
It doesn't feel revolutionary. This is the first one for me that's felt truly like the energy out there yeah. is intense. Yeah. And, um, and so I'm just really, I, this is a scary word to say, but I'm really almost excited to see where things go, even though it's been un- unveiling. That's, I think, the word I would use, or uncovering yeah. how brutal reality really is. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's weird, too, in in can- being in Canada during this, because it, it is a little different. We're much more spread out. Of course. Our population is significantly more spread out than the population in America. So while we have these protests going on in small cities and in large metropolis type cities, um, they're so distant from each other that it's a little weird feeling. And I would also say Canadian media, if we ever have any American listeners, I don't know, but Canadian media is doing a significantly, like just a piss poor job of reporting on this. And I know that that is the same in the States. The reporting has been very minimal. It's been like really downgrading it. And it's been very negative about what these protests are, which is awful. But in Canada, it's almost like they're just not reporting on it at all. Um, like, Like when the protests first started happening, I would say like the first weekend of June um was when they really did the bulk of the reporting on it and then i haven't seen anything put out really from canadian media um like canadian news outlets on black lives matter either in canada or globally and these protests are global so that's really weird because obviously the narrative for a very long time has been you know fake news don't trust the media and that's been true on like the like left versus right politics everybody's been saying it's fake news don't trust the media but this is the first time i've really been in a situation where like i'm actively researching i'm actively educating myself on something and i can see Absolutely. in real time that the media is actively under reporting or yeah. twisting the narrative to such a degree that it's like blatant misinformation and that's really weird. It's it's really weird to I feel be the same in way. a situation where you're like, I, I literally cannot trust the news sources that are supposed to be reporting the truth to protect the individual. And they're just not doing it. And that's really weird. Like, it's weird. I mean, I don't have cable. I don't know anybody in our generation or in Gen Z who has cable. So it's not like it doesn't really make a huge difference for how we consume our media or, or where we get our news from. But it is weird to live in a day and age where you can say, like, I get more accurate information at this point from Twitter and TikTok than I do from fucking CNN or CBC. Like, that is a weird thing to say and have it be legitimately true. Like, have social media be a legitimate research tool as long as you're educating yourself properly and researching accurately compared to what is meant to be a trusted, well-researched, and fact-based news source. I think it also goes to show how entangled these protests are with the politics and media institutions of our society in that... This is not just a protest for diversity or anything like that. This is anti-racism at its deepest roots, which includes the structural problems of our society and the blaming of our governments 
of our largest military and um, obviously police. It's obviously all very ingrained in yeah. um, our And so, you know, I'm sure tons of these media outlets are are entwined with with businesses who are uh, not happy with certain parts of the protest with and with cops themselves. Yeah. And so and I, it's it's just it's impossible to to trust anything. I out know there that. Right now. And I and I I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, but it's it's very it's different to be able to objectively break that down and be like, I understand like news is still a business and a business is owned by something or someone yeah. and that person may have biases that direct the way that news is reported. It's one thing to be able to intellectually say that and a completely different thing to actually see it in real time and see it so blatantly, like so aggressively. And that's really strange. Um, and even talking about like getting your news source from like TikTok or Twitter. And I know it, has, it hasn't been as bad on Twitter, but on TikTok in particular, which I use a lot more than I do Twitter, um, there's been instances of, of creators, specifically um, POC and LGBTQIA plus creators, who are obviously talking heavily about Black Lives Matter, their content being suppressed, being shadow banned, being removed from the platform. So people can't see content about the protests, whether it's videos, like live, live streams or videos of the protests as they're happening, or... Um, explanations on how to protect yourself during the protests or how to treat certain types of wounds like tear gas exposure um like that content is being removed or suppressed on the platform and that's scary like that's police state feeling so now it's getting challenging for these protests like protesters to communicate with each other effectively and warn each other about dangerous situations and that's why they're so easily getting like corralled by police officers or um, caught off guard in attacks or whatever, because they're not able to effectively mm -hmm. communicate. Like recently, a lot of TikTok creators and like so much of this sounds like 1984, like Orwellian conspiracy theory shit. But, like a lot of creators have recently been talking about how over DC there's been... Um, a surveillance plane spotted circling DC for the last couple of days. Um, and it's a signet or sigint, I don't know how to say it, plane, but it's it's an intelligence plane. So it's not necessarily for visuals, but it's for monitoring like, I, I don't know, phone calls, phone waves, radio waves, I don't know how it works. But like they're now recommending everybody turn their phones into airplane mode or move over to different 5G networks or like bring their own hotspots and change their phones to passcode only so that they're not utilizing facial recognition or fingerprints to open their phones. Mm, right. That these types of precautions are necessary because they can't not have the phones in case anything were to happen but they also can't functionally utilize the phones I think because they could be tracked and arrested. There's nearly infinite topics in here that we could discuss. So I'm trying to just select a couple that I think, I don't know, have, have something uh, I could say or we could discuss about it that might be interesting. 
one thing that I've been hearing that I think gets to me, I would say, is is because, and I've had so many conversations with people about this, um, not that none of my friends are saying the wrong side of this, but just like, we're all pointing out that this is how some people seem to be taking it, that of course, these protests aren't about one singular event. And that's been um, a thing, right? This is, and it's not even just about systematic racism, although that's obviously the big forefront and needs to be forefronted. But it shows the unrest with, to my view, at the, at the deepest level, and this is almost going too deep, but it's the global move towards the right wing that has been happening across so many countries and why so many countries stand in solidarity, even if their issues of race are very different than the ones in the US. Um, but the right wing use of and love of the military and cops and the use of that power to control their societies and even the use of media and how media has stirred up so much, and even Twitter, Donald Trump on Twitter and things like this. And of course, this a lot of the centers, I don't want to say he's like the be-all, end-all, but a lot of the centers around the election of Donald Trump. Um, and how the the word that I like from people using is the emboldening of racists and neo-Nazis around the world and the alt-right, and how that never went away. You know, it wasn't just that, you know, in, in one or two years ago when these marches and the, the alt-right were taking over, and then those sort of faded away for a bit. It's not as though those people stopped existing. No. And this no, is... They just, they just learned that they could be loud or they could be quiet or they could be sinister in the background and it wouldn't affect their lives a- anyway. Like, there would be no repercussions no matter how racist they were publicly. And I think we've entered... Um, this is an old-timey metaphor, but we entered a space with... COVID of a powder keg where people Definitely. are finally like have the time and, and not, not they don't really have the time and energy it's actually that we're emotionally more heightened during this time but yeah. it's the recognition of all of all this oppression that's happening and deepening in the last few years mm-hmm. and the emboldening of the worst of our society and the movement and of I people think- into that that's been terrible yeah, no, I, I I agree with you. I agree with you. I think, like, everybody's been pent up, cooped up in their homes. They've actually had the energy to sit down and research these topics, to pay attention to what's going on around them, to pay attention to how their neighbors speak to each other, how people speak about each other on TV, what kind of media is considered popular or important, and they start asking questions. Um, and I think that's amazing. Yeah. Like, I think I think that's one of the only good things that ever came out of the lockdown happening because it's been obviously horrifying that the world is in a pandemic. But having that kind of time to actually be self-reflective and to pay attention to the world around you instead of being stuck in your own bubble has led to something that's historic and so incredibly important. It's horrifying what has happened to like what happened to George Floyd, what happened to Breonna Taylor, what happened to Ahmaud Arbery, what happened to Trayvon Martin. Like there's hundreds of names you could keep going forever. And it's all of it is horrifying. But the fact that, you know, predominantly the millennials and the Gen Z have finally just like snapped and 
come together in such an incredible global presence to try and really change the entire way the world thinks is amazing. And not only that, to and be it's terrifying, successful. But... That's what's been unreal. Yes. The the, the yeah. rapid speed at which not, not only everyone, but I myself, I would have never guessed that abolish the police would be a position that it's defund the police well that is that's Let's the lesser be... position but they're yes the, in the that's, minneapolis that's the police department position news, that they're taking the abolish the police position was the one that was yeah. counted and well minneapolis has been notoriously racist minneapolis police department has been notoriously racist for years they're hyper problematic defund is where where i like i'm i'm at and comfortable and this is not about white people being comfortable obviously but it's like i i was not ready to fight for abolish the police to me that is a really intense thing but i've educated myself more and i still need to do so much more on it but like what that really means and of course i implore you to look because it's it's a very it's a much more nuanced and complicated position than obviously just yeah. doing nothing but removing all police officers. That's not the position. Um, no, it's about a restructuring from the ground building. up. Yeah, of yeah, which what it means to police. I do think I ultimately I do think that is what needs to happen. Exactly, I do think that's what needs to happen because defunding the police is great and it's an important first step. If you if you can't go the full mile because it is a difficult position to work through in every city in your country, abolish the police is like, is incredibly, I'm not saying it's impossible because so much has already happened. It would be ignorant of me to say it's impossible, but defunding the police is, is a much simpler first step to the ultimate goal. And realistically, the only way to have long lasting, meaningful change will be to abolish police forces and restart from the ground up because our police forces in Canada, the police forces in the United States, are built on the backs of racism. They yes. are built and structured to be oppressive to people of color and people of very low socioeconomic status. And that's just that's just factual. They are built on the backs of racism and oppression. And defunding them does not fix that inherent core problem. Um, defunding them doesn't fix the problem that it only takes a maximum of 900 hours of training to become a fucking police officer. Like it took me more hours of training to be a makeup artist than it does to become a police officer. That is fucking crazy. That is insane. And the fact that the bulk of their training is shoot to kill if you feel threatened is fucking nuts. It's absolutely insane. Like, that's it? You just have to pass a firearms test and, like, a physical exam and maybe one mental health check and you're a cop? What the fuck? Like, I had to re-up my training every three months when I was a professional makeup artist. It's crazy. And they do, like, what, a firearm test once a year and they're, like, good to go back? What the hell? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, of course, the nature of the training. And the nature of the screening of these people and the the self-protection of police forces yeah. and their unions. 
Um, of course, I'm not against yeah. unions, but there is a way in no, which the, way, the entrenched structures of policing in yeah, general the way, are bad. The way their unions are structured, they're structured in such a way that it is, at least in the States, I'm not, I'm not as well versed on Canada, which is bad. I should be more versed on Canada because I live in this country. But in the States, the way that unions are structured for police is such that it is almost impossible to be able to fire a police officer. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there was something like 1,300 or something firings of police officers last year. And the union was able to argue in arbitration for the reinstatement of 450 of those officers who had been removed for having specific types of complaints against them, primarily violence yeah. or sexual harassment. And 450 of them were reinstated. And it's like, if you have multiple complaints of violence or sexual harassment against you, there is, there is no line in which you should ever be reinstated. Like, if, if you're sitting there with, like, 15 complaints in your jacket over a year, you should be fucking gone. If I worked in retail and I had a complaint against me about sexual harassment, I'd be gone. Yeah. It's retail. If I was a cashier at a fucking grocery store, if somebody went to HR and was like, she's sexually harassing me, they sure, they'd try to arbitrate it. And if it didn't fix the problem, I'd be fucking fired. There's no one that I can go to to get my job reinstated because what I fuck I deserve it other than all the sexual harassment or all the racism. I'm a great cop. Look at my clearance rate. What? Like it's it just simply is one of those jobs that has to under all circumstances be held to a higher standard than everybody else. And I mean that like legally, morally, ethically under all circumstances they have to be held to a higher standard the same way doctors need to be held to a higher standard and nurses like you can't be racist and be a police officer ever it doesn't it's fundamentally impossible i've had this conversation with people and um about like keyboard warriors and like activism and what and it's just like and what i mean is people who don't think that's real they're like uh, you know i love it where they're like i love it so much they're like keyboard words is protest activism isn't real i'm talking like the people who are deep like they're like voting is the only political act that's allowed basically and it's just like well then why is peaceful protesting in your constitution america i i will admit that it's sometimes hard to see what it is that protesting is supposed to do in a direct way, right? There isn't like you go into protest and there's a, sometimes there's a direct law you're after or something like that. But often it right. is more um, a demonstration of your frustration or feelings about a certain thing. And yeah. that isn't the same as voting, which is a determinate you know, secret, actually, <laughs> you know, a determinate um, result that's de- enacted yeah. by your government. So it's it's a very different route. I don't deny that, and I'm not advocating for the violence part of it as being the um, the violent part of protesting as being the the way things could be affected. Like some people argue that only if you're threatening violence or showing that you're ready to rise up in a revolution is the real power behind protests. I'm honestly not of that belief. It to me, it's like I don't deny that that's a part of it, but I'm saying that I think there is the peaceful protest part is a real thing. It changes hearts and minds. It changes how people vote. It changes how every institution thinks of itself. 
I don't disagree with you. I think peaceful protesting is incredibly important and valuable. I think it is allowing your constituents or your group of people, your county, whatever space of government you're in, um, it's allowing them to have a voice for their frustrations in a way where they wouldn't be able to get that direct line with their counselor or their governor or their senator or their premier or whatever, whatever station of government you're in. Um, like you can't just send an email and expect them to actually read it. They're not going to. But if they see 5,000 people on the news screaming about this, obviously it's going to get some attention. But I think when you're talking about a level of change that the Black Lives Matters movement is looking for mm. and that level of change that is so necessary in so many countries because they were built on systemic racism and oppression. It's very difficult to affect that kind of change with a peaceful protest, because as as you can see with the Black Lives Matter movement, they have been having peaceful protests for years and nobody paid attention. They've been doing multiple forms of online activism and nobody did anything. But now that like, you know, they're fucking targets getting burned to the ground. It's like everybody's losing their minds, but now they're looking. And I'm mm. not saying it's a good thing. I'm not saying property destruction is a good thing, but I'm also not saying it's a bad thing. Like, I refuse to say that it's a bad thing because, A, at this point, Black people have every right to burn down a country that they built for free. No one would listen to them. Nobody paid attention because it was not convenient. It was easy to look away. Well, now it's completely inconvenient for all of the policymakers who wanted to look away and they're forced to look. So that's meaningful. Like tearing down a statue of Columbus and throwing it in the lake. People fucking paid attention. I also do want to say mm -hmm. a lot of what people are perceiving as rioting or looting is not being done by the protesters. Mm. The majority of the property destruction has been proven to have been done by police officers and alt-right racist anti-Semitic groups who are trying to tarnish right. what the Black Lives Matter movement is standing for. And there are multiple video and eyewitness accounts of Black Lives Matter protesters blockading these like rioters um, from being able to do damage to businesses in their local neighborhoods. Like, I think that's important to highlight and pay attention to because a lot of those like cars that are being destroyed or having their tires slashed is being done by police. The Nike store that was looted and broken into was police, it was on video, the police cruisers that are being destroyed was by the police in Baltimore, they got fired for it. Um, and then, you know, like the Nike store, the Target, the Starbucks, all of those were alt-right groups. So like a bulk of the damage that has been done is not the protesters. Now, when you're talking about things like the Washington Monument, the Columbus statue, you know, those 
I got no problem with. <laughs> They're racist monuments, and they shouldn't be there anyway. Yeah. Columbus was a piece of shit, and he belongs in the fucking river discovering water. Um, Black Lives Matter, and we should probably turn to... I know, to I'm getting so aggressive about some this. Some of our uh, stuff. Um, and I think it's it's... Of course, it's not the hardest thing, but I think it's a complicated thing to be a good ally because of course. it's it's exactly the, the stage where you have the choice to look away and you have to choose not to and you and and yeah. and do these you things keep and choosing. be sometimes make mistakes and be attacked for it and be OK with that yeah. and learn from your own mistakes. But for every stage, the hardest thing is that you always have that choice to just be done with it in a way that the non-allies, the people who are, who are really dealing with these things, never get that choice. And that's no. the most fucked up thing about it. That is so And difficult. it's like, as a white person, you have to keep continuing to choose that. Yep. Like, it's every minute of every day, and, like, it is easier to look away. But then you have to live with the fact that you're the person who couldn't hack it, who couldn't be there to uplift another human being who would rather benefit from an unearned privilege than lift up people who are undeservedly oppressed. And I can't do that. Like I, I can't live with that. And I, I understand the desire, but like, I, I don't understand how anyone could be okay with that. Um, but I will say, if you if you want to support the movement and you are Canadian, blacklivesmatter.ca is a great place to start. You can donate there. There are petitions to sign there. It is for the Toronto chapter. There is also a Vancouver chapter that you can navigate to through that website. Um, the Black Women's Alliance in Toronto is also great. They support uh, black women or female presenting people of color with things like securing housing and... Um, mental health, uh, addiction centers. So those are two great organizations that you can support if you're a Canadian. Oh, and the National Bail Fund. Also super important for protesters. Um, Sorry. No, it's fine. I I was just, yeah, it's like, I, you know, even during this time, it is funny that um, I... I'm doing a lot of stuff for, for school and pretty stressed out about that as well. But for some reason, you know, it's like we do turn, this is one of the big reasons for media and, and escapism and something is that it's, and, and, you know, we're, we're both saying, yeah, you can't escape, but you also like, there is a moment in your day where, of course, you know, you do need your rejuvenating time. Take, yeah. You need to turn your brain off for a little bit. And so in, in a certain way, I've been, I've been just more, um, no, like noticing and self-reflective of my own media consumption and like how much I'm doing it and how much of it is like, se- like self-care, you know, it's, it's not, but it's like, I'm just noticing, I'm not even sure I'm watching more or anything like that, but I'm just, um, more aware of my like distinction between like stressful portion of my day and like turn off the like watch stuff or, or things like, uh, yeah. things like that time. But yeah, I'm not sure where to where to start. Why not to? I guess I'll ask you how how have you been 
handling it and what have you been watching or engaging with um yeah i mean i've been on tiktok a lot Mm -hmm. which has not been probably not been great for my mental health because i watch a lot of like i follow a lot of poc creators on tiktok specifically for like black lives matter content um and to learn more about the protests and learn and just educate myself um Plus, there are just some incredible creators on TikTok. There's one guy who's like a mixed media artist, and I'm seriously considering buying one of his pieces because it's just beautiful. But yeah, so I've been on TikTok a lot. And I'm so I'm going to talk about TikTok a little bit. Sure. I'm just, I know it's not like technically this is your anime consuming, but I'm going to, yeah, it's my anime. I'm going to talk about TikTok for a minute. Outside of the Black Lives Matter stuff, um, I, so you're not on TikTok, so you don't know nope. this. And, I feel like a lot of straight people don't know this. I've, I'm probably giving away like a dark secret, but I also don't think a lot of straight people are going to listen to this podcast. I'm going to be honest. Um, <laughs> but there are two sides to TikTok. Um, there's straight TikTok and then there's alt TikTok. And like the way it works, the way TikTok works, their algorithm is sort of similar to like Netflix's. So like you pick genres that you like, And then the more content you like, the more content they show that's similar to that or Mm -hmm. that's liked by people who like the same content as you or consume the same content as you. So I am on alt TikTok because of the type of content I've been engaging with. And alt TikTok is all like POC creators, LGBTQIA plus creators, witches, which is just like, which, which talk is great. And then BDSM. And that's what's on alt TikTok. So everything that I get on my For You page, and like I can't let anybody else scroll through my For You page on TikTok because everybody else is getting these like comedy sketches and like white dudes dancing in gray sweatpants to weird music and like stuff like because that's what's on straight TikTok. And then mine is like, so you think you might be into bondage. Let's <laughs> talk about that. And then like, we're praising the moon tonight in honor of Black Lives Matter. And you're just like, my my TikTok's a fucking mess, but it's amazing. Like I get the best shit. And like the LGBTQIA plus creators are some of the funniest creators on TikTok. They're amazing. Um, so I'm basically just obsessed with like a bunch of people on TikTok for bdsm content and like weird alt comedy and like weird alternative music uh so i highly recommend tiktok there's some just incredible incredible people on there that like are just amazing and i'm not going to name them all because i follow a lot of creators but if you've got tiktok find me on it So I guess that's my first. There's thing. the real I've just been out. hysterically laughing. Forget about the rest. No, of the but media. like, get to TikTok. You can you can find. I, like I'm like, what am, what am I supposed to do? I I follow like 170 creators on my TikTok. Alaskan boy is no, hysterical. The shout out to to your own, uh, to, you know, instead of our Twitter or the feed or whatever. I don't, like no, meet me on TikTok. I don't post anything so, because mm. I don't want to post my face until I get my hair done. <laughs> <laughs> My roots are like six inches long. It's insane. Um, but highly recommend TikTok's been like my saving grace. Did I talk to you about Debs, the show? I think so. Because I don't know if I, I had it on film, but that's that's like the last big thing I remember. And honestly, it's st- like I it's died down, but it was it was a very affecting show when I actually did watch it. Um 
That has nothing to do with anything else we've been talking about recently. I might have watched it just before all this was happening. I'm not sure. But it's a show about a company that, uh, like a Google type company, who's invented uh, quantum computing. Um, so basically just think of it as super, super computing. And uh, they, they, they do lots of different things with it. Right, that the company is just like every possible branding. They make AI with it. They have search engines with it, et cetera, et cetera. Right, but they have one secret section called devs, and the main character, he, just did a a presentation, and then they're like, okay, I think it's time for you to join devs. You know, and that's the inciting incident of the show. Okay. And so, um, I have to give away a little bit of the first episode in order to like have an interesting conversation about the show. So if yeah, pause now, if you don't want to know anything about devs, like for, for episode, well, episode, episode skip one. ahead. Yeah, skip ahead. But essentially he gets into devs and he finds out that what they're doing there is using quantum computing to simulate the entire world. Okay. Which means... So right now they're not doing forwards like projection, but essentially what it could be used for is once they get it working is to predict the future because they're yeah, similar. Sounds like Westworld, the season of Westworld. Oh, okay, I haven't seen on. the new season of Westworld. So oh shit, I gave it away. Yeah. Sorry. So but so that's the um, fuck. That's the premise. So so right now in episode one, all they've been able to do is get really fuzzy images, and they're doing what's called backwards projection. They're taking what they know of the universe. As and it is right now, and extrapolating forward. backwards what happened previously, oh, okay. and they have like a, a screen of what looks to be Jesus on the cross, and they're like, you know, we've gotten to two thousand years, um, so, so that's the thing, and then the, what the show dives into is all sorts of stuff about determinism versus free will, and now as you know, right. I'm, uh, you know, I'm a philosophy major, and I've been, I've actually written many papers what? about. <laughs> about um, you never talk about that <laughs> about free will and determinism because it's a very cool question and so one of my friends obviously you know her mel have been arguing like crazy about this uh about the the question of whether oh what does mal think so it's about how the machine works so she says that the quantum wave function right would what it's doing so quant if you know anything about quantum mechanics over it's like quantum mechanics can predict many different lines of, of thought at the same time but it basically has every possibility of where a particle could pro- like probabilistically be right. it has them all measured out in what's called a superposition mm-hmm. and so they're all contained within it right and how we ended up talking about this and I, we both agreed that this makes sense this way is some people don't like some physicists don't like this interpretation of quantum mechanics, but it is one of them, is that whether there's a multiverse or not, right? If if, if every quantum movement can uh, is can be superpositioned in many different ways, one possible way the world could be is that every one of those positions is happening, and we're just flowing through one timeline of those going going by. Right. What that would mean is that unbelievable trillions of universes would be uh, in different directions would be appearing all the time and didn't like nasa or somebody recently confirm parallel universes though so i don't i I haven't read that article but yeah there's something about that but um the this year is such a fucking mess but the so the the way to think about that was like oh my god like how could there be trillions of universes this is so ridiculous right well 
the way to think, if this is just another dimension, think of the difference between space and time. So if each millisecond is like if we if we measured out all the milliseconds in a second, right, and said each of those is a different spatial universe, it's as though you're we're, like the whole universe is replicated and just moves a little bit, and that's a way of, of and so it's like each of those spatial universes in a way exists, and we can cut time into tiny, tiny, tiny little increments, which means there'd be per second thousands and thousands, if not millions, of slivers like that, of of right. and so it's like just do that again. So in for each timeline, there's another timeline. And if you think of it that way, it's not as absurd sounding, although it's still mind-boggling. Um, anyway, so those are all the different predictions the machine could make. And so the question is, if the machine shows you a prediction, can you change it? Right. That's, it ends up being the big thing of the show, so I'm giving away a ton here. Very minority report-ish. Yeah. Can you change? And, and that's the thing. And so different characters have different reactions to that and, and what they can do. But Mal's position is that essentially there is a given set and they are determined along a certain path of it. And the machine showed them the path that they are determined along. It just showed them their path. Right. But my point is that the machine is actually stuck because it in choosing the timeline, it has to choose which images it shows them. And so there's there's a problem because let's say in the one where I show you that you're eating a peanut butter sandwich, if I do that, if I, if I pick out that one, it turns out you don't like that when you see it. So you choose to eat, you know, cereal instead. Right. So now you've ruined it. But then I show you cereal and you choose to eat a peanut butter sandwich. Yeah. Which, how do, how do I choose? As, even as the machine, how can I decide which things to show you? And Mal's just like, it doesn't matter. It, it knows all the, the literal physical possibilities of the universe. So any question of this, what it shows you or not, is irrelevant. It knows every possible universe. So there's nothing to be said. It just shows you the one that's real. Yeah. It shows you, like, I understand what, I understand what Mal's saying, though, because it's showing you the most, essentially, it's showing you the most likely outcome. Mm -hmm. But once you see it, there's this thing in human brains, like, once your path is determined, so many people, so many of us rail against it. Yep. Um, so once you know that, like, this is what it is for you, there's a petulant child inside of us that says, well, no, you don't get to fucking tell me what to do. I'm an adult. I do what I want. And then you choose something else, but the machine is already aware that that is another possibility. So now you've just increased the odds of you doing this other thing, and it's going to show you the other thing. And so, so how like, does it choose? No matter, what, no matter what you choose, it's like it's still right. It just chooses the most likely outcome. It just so happens that once you see it, we become children and have to do the opposite. <laughs> right. So so then, even if it's showing you the most likely, can it show you... The, the real question is, can it show you the determined one? The one that must happen? I mean, I like the theory of, like... I've heard this theory in time travel, mm. um, where there are fixed points in time that absolutely must happen. It doesn't matter how they happen, but they must happen. So something like Hitler has to die in a bunker 
like by killing himself or whatever, but it doesn't matter necessarily how it he kills himself. You know, it doesn't matter if he slits his throat, if he shoots himself in the head, or if he takes a cyanide pill. It doesn't matter what happens before or after. All that matters is that he has to kill himself in that point in time. Mm-hmm. Everything else is fluid. And I've heard that theory in time travel, and I think that that's kind of the most... That's the one that sticks in my head the most because there are these enormous moments in time that completely change the like the course of history. And if they don't happen in the way that they happen at the time that they happen, everything that comes after is fucked. Like it's completely changed. Yeah. So I think that that is the most interesting concept for time travel. And I think that's that applies here mm-hmm. in, in this show, too, because there are your fixed moments that have to happen, those big, insane changes. And then all of the little things like whether or not I eat a peanut butter sandwich is fluid. Unless, of course, I have to die and I happen to be allergic to peanuts. Then I have to eat the peanut butter sandwich because it's a fixed point in time. Well, I, I highly recommend the show. And I will say that they do care about the interpretation you're saying but i won't give away how things actually play out on the show so it's an eight episode limited series and it's excellent so i highly recommend it how about uh, i'll give it is it on netflix so that's the thing i ended up getting it on google play or something i ended up having to buy it separate okay yeah i guess i just really want to see it because it was by by the guy who made ex machina alex garland maybe oh that might be right and it's vi- if you like Ex Machina, like it has a very similar aesthetic, very Ex similar Machina. ideas, a lot of talking heads just talking philosophy to each other. Like I love Ex Machina. I love all the actors in it too. Yeah. So for me, I'm trying to think of what piece of content I should mention first. I think I might mention something lighter because we've had a very long political conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been rewatching Smallville. <laughs> okay. I never saw it actually. Um, that's been my rewatch lately. Really? Oh my god. Smallville was huge when I was a kid. Smallville, um, I had to look up when it came out because I couldn't remember when I started watching it. Smallville came out in 2001, so we would have been in elementary school. I honestly forget how old you are, but we're close enough in age that we would have been in elementary school. I used to watch it all the time because it used to be on, again, all I watched was Space Network. Same. <laughs> but it used to be on Space Network. Um, and I think it was on like cw network maybe for a while too but it was always on space they always played reruns and it would be on at like 4 p.m so like right when you get home from school there'd be like an episode and it would always be on on sunday afternoon so if there's nothing else to watch you could watch reruns of smallville so i used to watch it all the time so i decided to rewatch it because i have really fond memories of my childhood and that was like outside of reading physical comic books one of my first like interactions with like superheroes and i really really enjoyed the show I always loved the villains the most, but, like, I loved Lex Luthor in that show. If you've never seen Smallville, it's about high school-age Clark Kent. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's basically, like, a teen drama, but with Superman. And he's just starting to, like, discover his powers. Holy fuck, that show is corny. Like, I mean, it came out in 2001, so, like, not it shouldn't be that surprising. But, like, Buffy came out in 97, and Smallville is way cornier than Buffy ever was but it's still really really like I'm enjoying it it's really fun and I like the monster of the week model I feel like you don't get that in shows anymore like typically mm-hmm. your show is going to be like a season at least a season long arc yeah um, and all drama whereas yeah whereas this is 
it, it has somewhat of a season long arc ish, but for the most part, it's just like a monster of the week, like a bad guy of the week. And it's just various people affected by like the meteor shower or whatever other reason they have superpowers. And it's sort of the coming of age of Clark Kent and how he becomes Superman eventually and the coming of age of Lex Luthor and how he eventually becomes the arch nemesis. But in the show, they're like best friends. Mm, So it's a really weird dynamic. And you can see like Lex slowly moving closer to the dark side and like Clark becoming more and more like stringent in his morals. So it's like very interesting dynamic, but it's, it's so wholesome. And it's just been such a nice, like, mental break from like work and the real world to just sit and watch it it's like cute and easy and fun and really really cheesy like just so 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 corny (laughs) it's like the x-files are buffy but with like the cheese factor turned up a hundred percent so it's palatable for teenagers and like a lot of Foxy 2000s dudes. <laughs> also, a lot of celebrity, like people who are like A-listers now were in that show. Like I watched an episode that had a very young Amy Adams. Ooh, that's fun. Another episode had a very young Lizzie Kaplan. Cool, cool. Who, I'm not sure if you remember. Nope. Just going along <laughs> with you. Lizzie Kaplan played Janice in Mean Girls. Okay. She was in Masters of Sex. She was in, she's been in tons of stuff. Um, Masters of Sex is also a great show if you've never seen it. But yeah, like I just watched an episode that had Jonathan Taylor Thomas in it, which was hilarious. I haven't seen JTT in forever. So um, (laughs) I'm I'm a little right to bring things back around now, but one of the things I've actually been seeing on Twitter and whatnot is that there is an alternative storyline Superman as a black man, Sto- like in the comics, like people have written oh, yeah, the story. That's, yeah, and also, yeah. well, it's like Spider Man too. Yeah, and so it's just like I just think, obviously, I mean, Avengers is already doing it right with um, Black Captain America, but and well, they're doing it with um, Thor too. Yeah, I think. which is sort of fun. And Iron Man. So of I course, think. it would all be like you know what's it called all stacking on the same boat but still it would be cool to like take like well actually more of what i want to express is that the comic books right now you know they're, they're they're nowhere near the popular that they had in the golden age right but comic book movies are huge right um but what a of lot course, of comic yeah. books are doing now is taking those characters this is from my limited limited knowledge but like from what i've been seeing is like a lot of them are taking alternative looks at famous figures or adding new figures totally diverse roles and re-establishing those same stories that were great for young Americans in the 1930s to 50s, and and reevaluating it for modern times, and reevaluating for oh, yeah. for new ultimate. Uh, I can't remember what it's called now. I think it's Ultimate X Men. I think, but uh, Colossus mm. in Ultimate X Men. Who and uh, I'm assuming you know who Colossus yep. is. He's in the X-Men movies is also like the original trilogy and he's also in Deadpool, but he is gay Yep. in ultimate X-Men. Um, and then even, even if you look at ultimate Avengers, Nick Fury is black. Original Nick Fury was white. Mm-hmm. The new Thor is a woman. Um, the new, I think Iron Man is a black woman. Spider-Man from the ultimate universe is a black guy or a kid. Actually, I think he's like 16 miles Morales. 
So yeah, there's a lot of diversity now in comic books that never existed before. I think my mind is changing on these things where I used to be a lot more fiddly with what we should do about like diverse force diversity in in stuff. But now I'm just like, I don't know, just be unapologetic about it. Just like just do everything anything, with diversity. I don't think and there's anything it. wrong with it because you've got these characters that have like existed in almost stasis for like 60 years. Eventually you're going to run out of storylines for this cis straight white man to be able to be this superhero. Like at some point you need to change the narrative because it is going to get boring. So having like a female God of Thunder is fucking cool. Like it's a cool alternative option. And if you want to keep reading about regular Thor, you still have 60 years of fucking comic books to read. Yeah. I think the thing that really gets me on this is actually Doctor Who, where there's a, a, a I think it was right when Matt Smith, I think that's his name, um, became the Doctor. But he says a line like, I can be regenerated as anyone. And I'm like, so for the know, 14th time, like, you've why? become a white British man? Like, yeah. It's, it's, Everybody had that conversation. Everybody yeah. was like, seriously? <laughs> he doesn't have to be a dude this entire time. He never had to be a dude. <sighs> so um, I know I got my number. Sorry. I think he's the 12th doctor. God, I don't. Don't please don't argue. With uh, me about this. He's the 11th. Okay. Peter Capaldi is the 12th. Because Tennant was 10. Matt Smith was 11. Capaldi was 12. And now I stopped watching during Matt Smith. So I don't remember what the new doctor I don't remember what her name is, the actress. So I think I have some other random stuff, but I think there's only one other thing I really want to talk to you about. So I'm going to go with okay. this for sure. So go do it. So Cody and I, we so he introduced me to Cape Fear, the horror movie. You've never seen Cape Fear? I've never seen Cape Fear. Oh my God. But oh, that I'm was to cough. a journey. Let me tell you. First of all, A, I can't believe you've never seen Cape Fear. There's literally a Simpsons episode about Cape Fear, so that's, like, mind-boggling to me. But go on, do your thing. So, oh my god. So I don't hate the movie. I don't hate the movie. But every 10 seconds of the movie, I'm like, what is wrong with this movie? Like, it is... Well, it's old. It's, but it's, okay, what, what, it, I, I guess what's so egregious about it it's is... It's Robert De Niro in How it, right? much, it, yeah. It's how much it's trying to, it's taking a, a full horror movie premise and follow through, but really trying to like elevate it into Oscar-y material. Yeah. And that combination just, it's it was too fresh at the time. It was just the camera use, the like, there'd be this crazy music, crazy like cinematography effects that are just look like nonsense constantly. That being said, though, and even though so some things came off as so hokey and ridiculous. Yeah, I will agree with that. Yeah, so it's directed by Martin Scorsese and has uh, Robert De Niro. And Robert De Niro has just gone out of jail and is now uh, sort of terrorizing in a very interesting way his defense lawyer, the lawyer who defended him in this case. Mm-hmm. Uh, because what he'll do is not really break laws, just do things that are like on the like just very disruptive to his life like going to everywhere he eats being on his property line fence you know driving by yeah, now that i'm thinking about it that's so strange because when cape fear was made that was before anti-stalking laws mm. were created so like you couldn't get a restraining order for someone showing up like outside of your property line or whatever so they they do talk with that he he does try to get his restraining order immediately it just takes some time 
And this guy's yeah, like rapidly doing bullshit. So that that was the first thing that was really interesting to me of like how terrifying it is that someone can harass you in that way. It's like, unless they're caught doing something bad, like you can just be messed with yeah. for like, a yeah. it's crazy. So then he starts accusing him of being a bad defense lawyer and, and hiding evidence and burying stuff. And he admits to it. Right. And it's not totally clear. Like he, it, they do talk about what the, 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 what he did bury, but you're like, you kind of don't believe the main character anymore. And you almost, for me at least, I flipped and been like, oh my God, what this is going to be about is how he's the bad guy. And the bad guy's actually, he's being an asshole, but it's totally yeah. deserved. <laughs> no, <laughs> that is not the storyline. <laughs> it, it, yeah. He's a monster. He's a monster of mon- yeah. monster things. And it's about like, whether it's okay to take the law into your own hands or whether you have to be... Uh, a good lawyer through and through and he's almost punished by this killer for not following through as a good defense lawyer um, and instead probably doing a service to society by cheating his defense lawyer duties yeah Re- to me really cool premise really cool ideas overall the execution movie though is all over the place like all over the place but yeah uh, so it's cool to to connect with that horror classic so then we got, so I started to continue on, but so I, we watched Cape Fear just last night. We were on like a horror kind of mood now. Uh, we watched this movie and I'm not sure if you've seen it yet, but uh, this horror movie called I See You. Oh my God. Yeah. Helen Hunt. <gasps> you you didn't like it. No, the concept I did like the, con- like I, I saw it a while ago. Um, the concept I like because it's terrifying to me. Mm-hmm. Like, my biggest fear, especially because I live in a ground floor apartment, is home invasion. Like, I'm so yeah. afraid of somebody just, like, coming into my apartment. Because um, there's really nothing I can do about it. Because I live on the ground floor. It'd be so easy. But overall, I didn't. I'll let you talk about it first because it's your thing. But overall, I this, didn't love it. That's funny to me because I was going to say, to me, it's, like, a massive hidden gem. I'm, like, I had never heard of it. Watched it. And I loved it. I thought the beginning is rough. But, like, once you're, like, 30 minutes in and you start to see what the twist is, the first twist, at least, I was in it. It felt like Girl on uh, girl on the Train or Gone Girl or, like, all these thrillers. It had, like, that same vibe to me of, like, twist after twist and, like, not uncovering the truths of the characters in the story until you get deeper and deeper. And it was original. I hadn't heard of the I concept. I figured it. I... The concept I've heard of before, because frogging is a thing that's, like, big on, like, Reddit and stuff. So, like, I've heard it in, like, No Sleeps and Creepypastas and, like, Let's Not Meets. And I'd seen, like, like, security camera footage of, like, you see somebody go to bed, they knock at the lights um, in their apartment, and they've got, like, a camera in their apartment. And somebody just crawls out of a vent and goes down into their kitchen to, like, get food and stuff. And I'm like, ugh so gross and scary to me um uh so like i'd heard of frogging before so like when the like as a concept it's it's a cool concept to make a movie about for sure like it really hadn't been done to death which is great the second twist in that movie i had figured out so quickly um but anyway, I, I i do like helen hunt i thought she was good in the movie i thought everybody was good in the movie but i just think I don't know. The frogging aspect was the only part of it that felt kind of different. And it really only felt like it was in the movie to appeal to that sort of like 
popular niche on the internet because it is it is relatively popular on the internet it's really popular with well, like to me it's what the whole movie's about pastas really, and but... non-sleeves kind of but it's it's not really I mean, about the whole it. first half the only suspense in the first half is you thinking that it could be paranormal stuff because why is all this weird shit happening and then yeah. it's actually the twist is it's not paranormal at all it was all along yeah. froggy like it's it's a cool concept because it's so different um, but every other aspect of it, like the, the like creepy things moving around in your house and the child murderer and the kid goes missing and then the son maybe is involved, like all of those things, all of those pieces I've seen in other movies. So like there was no, like it just felt like pieces, like popular pieces of other movies that were done better thrown into one movie and then they added the aspect of like a popular term like frogging popular in I guess term. yeah I guess I just love twists I just loved that the twist yeah, just no that's coming, totally fine just like really worked that's for not me. there's nothing but wrong with that I will say like the reason it will I can see why it would never really become a huge movie is probably just because the characters and like I don't know the, there's nothing really that special about the cinema the, actually the cinematographer twist is kind of interesting actually where you go from normal camera to the midpoint of the movie where it switches to handheld was kind of freaky I do love but, a good found footage that was really innovative to me and just a cool twist in the movie. But like in actual technical ability, there wasn't a lot of great technical ability in the show. Most of the actors were bad or like average. The, the music was very poorly and insanely I done. agree with that. But, uh, but yeah, I really liked it. That's, okay, and then I've been watching like bits and parts of other stuff. But yeah, that's about it for my week. I feel like we don't have time for me to do another one. But I want to. Go ahead. I finally saw The Lodge. Oh, I don't know if I know that one. The Lodge is the movie. It's a it's an American movie, but it's by the same director that did Goodnight Mommy. Okay. Yes. You have talked about this before. All right. Well, fuck it. So I was hanging out with our friends who were in that city. <laughs> um, the city you were from. So I can't save it now. Uh, and we rented it. We rented The Lodge. And um, I I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I will say it's not perfect. Um, in the same way that I think Goodnight Mommy is not perfect. But it was v- like very effective for me. It was really creepy. There were a lot of twists in it. And some of which I was able to like kind of pick up on pretty quickly. And then some really threw me for a loop. Like it was very effective to me. And it has... The kid who played Bill in It, Chapter 1. Okay. All of it takes place in this, like, ski lodge during winter. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially, these kids, their parents are divorced. It's a boy and a girl. and Or they're separated, but in impending divorce. The dad is dating somebody new. And the mom is still hoping for reconciliation. The dad says it's not going to happen, asks for the divorce to go through. And this isn't giving anything away. It's pretty obvious as soon as you start watching that this is how it's going to go. But the mom commits suicide while the kids are at the dad's house. So the kids end up coming home and finding her. And then the dad takes full-time custody. He's trying to introduce this woman into their lives. The kids are resistant. Um, So around Christmas time... The dad has to do some work, so he takes the kids and his girlfriend up to their ski cabin and says, I'll be back in three days-ish, and you guys need some bonding time, and he leaves. And then 
it just gets like progressively more psychologically disturbing through the three days that the dad is gone. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that happens where you can't tell if it's one of the characters' psychosis or if it's actually happening. But you just sort of delve more and more into the mental instability and breakdown of one of the central characters. And then the other characters sort of have to try and figure out how to maintain until the dad character comes back. So you don't know if these people are going to survive three days out in the wilderness alone and away from a town in the middle of a snowstorm. It's very unsettling. In, in, in a similar way to Ari Aster's movies, I would say, um, like Hereditary, mm. it has a similar level of just unease, like an ethereal sort of unease that you can't really place, and it becomes more and more tense. Highly recommend. Cool. Yeah, I loved Good Night Mommy, so that's exciting. Yeah, definitely recommend. Anyway, so yes, we are watching uh, The Hate You Give tonight. Which, if you are in Canada, is free to stream on the Cineplex store. And on Crave. Oh, yes, it's on Crave. No, it's based on a popular book that I shelved a lot when I was working at a bookstore. So, excited to see what the movie's like. And it has KJ Appa in it, I think. Who's from Riverdale. Okay. I think. I'm pretty sure it's Archie from Riverdale. One of us always tells the truth. And one of us always lies. No running in the hallway. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You're janky. Okay. Um, okay, so we're back. We Hooray. just finished the movie. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, oh I won't gosh. ruin the magic. Um, so yeah, no, we had, well, we didn't have technical, yeah, we had technical, we'll go technical we had te- difficulties. We had technical difficulties. My, ha- the technical difficulties was I had to use my Bluetooth headphones all day for work and I didn't realize that they needed to be charged. Um, and then they died halfway through me talking. So we had to come back the next day and finish recording because yeah. I fucked up. <laughs> so the hate you give, what'd you think? Yes. God, I mean, why does that feel like a lifetime ago in this one day? Uh, it was, I liked it. I liked it a lot. It was really heavy. It was really mm-hmm. intense. But of course, it's going to be its heavy subject matter. I think like, which we were saying when we watched it, but what was so strange and surreal about it was that it really, really mirrors what's going on in the world right now. Absolutely. And for me, that just like really solidifies the fact that this is a like cyclical problem that's been going on for decades and centuries. And that's why it's it's so I don't want to say easy, but it's 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 so easy to recreate that in media, like in in a book or in a movie, because it's something that has happened so many times. It's a history that's been over repeated. So that was really strange to experience. I think both of our, um, like, I, I noticed both of us being emotional during different parts of the, the movie, and mm-hmm. it's a movie that, because it's so close to our lives right now, is it's yeah. really hard to sense where the where the emotions are at in the movie. But for that reason, it can be cathartic to, to watch it um, during this time, but it also can be tough to <laughs> be 
constantly reliving uh, this stuff because the movie is is quite quite close to uh, reality as it is now. I I begun talking uh, to you during a thing that we had to scrap, but about some of the problems I was having the movie. But I'd I'd like to start maybe from a different perspective this time, saying that I actually like that it takes um, a lot of the storylines that uh, why novels and stuff have been thinking about this like basically about revolutionary plot lines like the most one of the biggest YA books and many many copycats was um Hunger Games and of course this doesn't parallel Hunger Games exactly but there is this revolutionary fever and it's really cool to see that planted right in our here and now in a way that feels you know real and when you think like what would this uh book be categorized as and you say like oh a contemporary novel it's like well Really, it is a revolutionary story, but just set in modern times. And that is not the standard story at all for uh, contemporary novels, which are usually romances or friend groups, that kind of thing. And of course, that's part of it here. Coming of age stories. Yeah. So of course, that's part of it here. But the movie really turns quite strongly into a political direction. And maybe one thing I'm interested to your opinion on is that... uh, her family's connection to the Black Panthers and what you thought of that aspect of it, because it was something I was thinking about. I'm like, that's really interesting that they began with that in the movie. I mean, I I feel like it's hard for me to comment on that because I don't know enough about the Black Panthers sure. to really like have a strong opinion on it one way or the other. I mean, I, I do think they're one of the most recognizable, like activist groups i'm not even sure if they classify themselves as an activist group to be totally honest but i I would say that's what they are um so as far as like anti like anti-black racism they're one of the strongest voices historically that Mm -hmm. people can recognize um and they had such a huge impact on um civil rights movements and um like black power movements in like the 60s and stuff so i think in that sense it makes it it, like i understand using it because at the time when this book came out black lives matter was known but they weren't like forefront of white media Mm -hmm. so like a, a white person reading that book might not necessarily recognize the black lives matter movement but they should recognize the Black Panthers because they have been utilized so many times in white-facing media, negatively for sure, in a lot of in a lot of white-facing media. But they have been utilized, so I think in part that's kind of that must be part of the reasoning, just because it's a very recognizable activism group. Um, but also, it's an incredibly important historical activism group, from my under- my limited understanding. So I don't, I don't, ultimately, I don't know what I think about the usage of the Black Panthers in that. I think the credo that they cited within it fits the tone of the movie perfectly. And I think Mm -hmm. it's a powerful statement on like, you know, strength of the African-American community. But beyond that, I, I have a hard time really having an opinion on it because it's just not my history and I don't know it. I think one of the turning points in the movie is when but the main character star is coming back from uh, a difficult and maybe to her in her own psychology compromising view and she's discussing how she wonders it's like was being loud and putting herself out there and putting some people at risk 
like worth it for justice for putting it out there and that's where this credo really comes in where you think the movie is talking about the balancing act we have to do as people where do you put your own family in danger do you put your community in danger do you put yourself in danger for the sake of an abstract political goal and you know we're we're learning today but and in the movie it's it's almost surprising the movie takes this this path although it's predictable if you're watching the beginning when their family is um into this credo of black panthers but that the credo is of course you can't back down and of course what needs to be done is major voice heard and what is important is that everyone supports you and is behind you during those crucial moments and hopefully the if you can like by getting everyone together that strength um can deal with it and and ev- basically everyone's on board is is the idea it's the fracturing that's the problem mm-hmm. yeah i mean without giving too much away i do like the one thing that the that the father character maverick said like at the sort of right at the climax of the movie where he has i mean this isn't spoiling too much but he has the his family members names tattooed on his arm and he says like you all are my reason to live and you are my reason to die um and i thought that was Mm -hmm. really like that's a really interesting way to put it because it's like i want to live for you of course but i would die to protect you um, and just having it put so succinctly in you are my reason to live and my reason to die, I thought was like very powerful of a message at that like apex moment of the film. For sure. On the other hand, <laughs> and uh, we discussed this a bit before too, like, I did have some uh, issues and I think we boiled it down pretty nicely with the movie is that the movie kind of had its own essay being written on top of it as you're watching it. And no, I don't think media all needs to be very subtle or something like this. It's okay to have some moments of like really getting your message out there. But I think this movie, it almost could have gotten away with uh, more, you know, it's a stupid line, but show versus tell, where it was showing everything happening, but it felt the need to have characters explain exactly what's happening each, each time too. And that that got me frustrated some characters too clearly fell into their archetype you're like oh they're kind of a compromised character and then they like just they just state like this is what i this is my purpose as a character is to be this moment in the in the in the movie besides that that's about my only major flaw but the movie's just a little obvious with certain things i've thought about that because again we were talking about it last night and then my headphones died um, so since you had mentioned that last night, I've thought about it more and I almost feel like I can understand, I mean, A, it's a, like, as we mentioned, it's a young adult novel. Um, so of course it's, it's going to lack some subtleties that like, uh, you know, mature fiction would have or fiction for a more mature audience. But my other reasoning that it doesn't bother me as much that it's so in your face is that it's the subject of the film is various forms of racism and it's like overt racism covert racism microaggressions and i think a lot of the understanding of that is lost on white people that there are layers to their racism and layers to their white privilege so many white people do not understand that or refuse to accept it so like how do you get that message across to a non-poc audience how are you 
possibly going to get that message across to people who do not experience it and have them maybe sit and think, oh, shit, like maybe I am part of the problem because I'm not checking my privilege or maybe I am like unintentionally racist because I am saying these microaggressions too often. Like you it's when it's that easy for a white person to turn away and not look and not try and not educate themselves and like I think that parallels what's happening right now in the world with these with these protests, with the like intensity of them, with the fact that Seattle has basically taken over an entire section of the city and mm-hmm. turned it into an autonomous zone where police aren't welcome, which is fucking cool, by the way. But like sometimes you have to shove it down the person's throat for them to really think that they might be part of the problem. So, like, in my mind, now that I'm thinking about it more, I just, it doesn't bother me that it lacks subtlety. Because if it did have subtlety, I think a lot of white people watching it or reading that book would have just sat there and been like, it's terrible that this, that this happens. You know, there's, like, that one bad police officer that shot that poor boy in this book, and that's awful. Without sitting down and thinking, like, it's not one bad cop. It's, like, all of us. And we have to do better. You know what I mean? Like, it's the it's I the think, girl yeah. in school. It's the teacher. It's the, like, person on the street. Like, it's the government. Like, it's everybody. And it's insidious. And it's small. And it's quiet. And it's awful. I think the movie is successful on, on that front, um, for the most part. <sighs> Subtlety isn't exactly the right word for it. I think it's, it's just more of um It's just more of a media critique thing where... Often I'll watch something and I'll agree with it and I'll just be like, I watch this and I agree with it and I feel good because I agree with what's happening. And not in this case, I do feel like I learned some things and there is some parts to it. But often like what re like what I really fall in love with and what's really interesting is when you see that the piece of media you're watching itself is it like is unveiling layers that you would have never expected or really making you think about things. And I'm sure for many people watching this, uh there's a lot to that they hadn't experienced before. I guess it's just where where I'm coming from. I'm not saying that I know everything about what's going on, but you know, we're all getting very up to date on this stuff during this time. Mm-hmm. And so to watch this movie, let's say a little bit late in the game, like two weeks into these protests and having already had these protests before, it just was a lot of stuff that I expected the movie to do once I understood what the movie was about. Yeah, but I, again... I don't think, I mean, I understand where you're coming from with your opinion, but again, I, like, and I'm not even saying you're saying it's a negative or like a critique against the film, but I don't think it's a fair critique because A, this movie came out two years ago mm-hmm. um, in a time when there wasn't an immediate protest and like revolution happening globally. Um, B, the book came out two years before that, roughly. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I think you have to take it within the context of the time frame that it came out in. So, like, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like, uh, like, I understand why you're critiquing it that way because we are watching it late in the game. But it doesn't seem like a fair critique, in my opinion. And also, like, there have been movies about systemic racism and oppression of, like, POC or black communities that have been made before that are, are rife with subtext and subtly unveil things as you go through. And if you are a critical person, you are you are very into critically thinking when you watch a film, you'll get the most out of those movies. 
But the greater majority of people that go see a movie aren't going to see a movie to be critical about it. You know, they're not going in to sit down and really examine the content deeply and then examine themselves and how they feel about that content. That's just not accurate to the majority of people who watch movies. And I just, I don't think this was a movie that was made for people who are going for like deep cuts. You know what I mean? Like this was a movie that was made for the average moviegoer so that they can really like understand what's happening in front of their eyes that they're just turning away from on a regular basis. Yeah, and well, and that's what I mean by it's it's successful on that front. I think that is that is where it's successful. It's just to me, it's like, there's just a different layer of, of critique to be said about when it's like when you like something because it's giving the right message or political message and you agree with those things versus whether it really not even affects you in the right way, but it's like that you really feel like has is, is artistically quite good. Um, but just as uh, on other levels, I'm just like, it's, it's good. Yeah. It would have, it would have had a different impact if we weren't watching it while going through. Yeah. I mean, imagine watching it just before the protests would be, Oh yeah. Would be a moment. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, ultimately I really, I'm, it feels weird to say I really enjoyed it because it's like an incredibly intense movie. Of course, of course, but yeah. Content-wise and imagery-wise. Um, so it feels weird to say I enjoyed it because it sounds almost too happy. But um, I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it. I thought it was very impactful. I thought it was really good. I, I, I understand what you're saying. Like it is a little in your face at times. And I do get that. I don't disagree with you. But overall, I really liked it. And I loved everybody in it. Like, I thought all mm-hmm. of the actors were were very good, except that Haley chick. But I, I can't tell if I didn't like her because she was a bad actress or if I didn't like her because she was just a bitch. I like, think... I'm kind of stuck there. You'll, you'll know the name, but the Archie from Riverdale character, I think... KJ Appa. His character was... For me, messy. <laughs> like it, it was a little bit of a quick transition between like he wasn't racist, but he wasn't not racist. You know what I mean? Like, it, like, like he, he, it was a lot of microaggressions. Well, he re- yeah, he's representing a different kind of. Yeah, it was a lot of microaggressions, unintentional, um, not checking privilege, not understanding the black experience, not educating himself. But it was like an incredibly quick transition from like I'm not being hurtful because I'm racist. I'm being hurtful because I'm ignorant and that is coming across as racist to like, I want to be a better ally and I'm going to learn and I'm going to be here to support you and do, and like have your voice be heard. It was like this immediate transition where I'm like, probably could use a little more character development for a movie. That's two, two hours and 17 minutes long. Like you probably could have spared like five minutes to do like a little bit more there. Yeah. That's the, I'm not sure if it was like one too many characters. I mean, because she's in two worlds, I think that's really adding to the amount of characters you're going to have sure. to, to deal yeah. with because she has her friends totally. in Could like, not tell you the name of the school. Something like that. But um, she had her friends at the prep school Col- and her friends... Her friends at Colonial Williamsburg. At home. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's just... So that's just a lot of characters. And yeah. I think, you know, when we're talking about the romantic interest, it's just like... I don't really believe that they're in love. Like get one scene of like, we love each other. And then it's just like, yeah, it, and then, and then she spends the rest of the movie essentially trying to avoid him because she's dealing with other stuff. And, but that's the same for the whole prep school storyline. And And so just as a storyline, it's really awkward because it's so clearly only there so that she, well, to tell you that she has a different kind of experience and she has certain things she wants to uh, hide. It did. It did feel like 
It was rushed. It was rushed, but it felt like there might have been more content to support that kind, like those characters and that kind of character development in the actual in the book. book yeah, then there is. Way. I mean, I never read the book, but just yeah. the way it was laid out, it was laid out and structured in such a way that I'm like, I think the structure is the exact same structure that would be in the book. They just cut out some content for runtime. Yeah. Um. So I mean, if you've read the book, maybe maybe that's more fleshed out and it works. I don't know, but I agree with you. It did feel that whole world felt rushed. I also loved like I'm not going to give too much away, but there's a point where at the very end they're sitting at the cafeteria table and it's like she's you know with her friend and the boyfriend, um, and then the other slightly racist one is off at another table but i just love how like there's no mention of the fact that the friend with like dark brown hair just like bailed on the racist blonde but like she's just at the table with them Mm -hmm. so i'm like i love it i'm like yes cut that bitch out (laughs) yeah (sighs) yeah i don't know i also felt like i feel like there's probably more in the book but like it went from being like a really intense protest scene to basically immediately they're just like at the cafeteria table and everything's chill and she's just like talking about like or no she's back at her house and everything's chill and she's like life is great now and we we stood for something and i'm like yeah the wrap up scene yeah how long in between was this like it was quite a bit i also seven's not injured anymore so it had to be like a span of time the ending is definitely like a DSX machina cleanup sort of thing oh, yeah. where like a lot of convenient things happen to make it have a happy ending. And mm-hmm. it's like, okay, I don't know. Of course, I'm not like, sure they should have done a I'm, worse ending, but I think it's I, good. I would have been ending. fine. Yeah, I would have been fine with a happy ending. It's just like, I feel like there's a lot of shit that happened at the beginning that like if they were going to cut stuff out, they should have cut out whatever was in the beginning or cut down on it, maybe, and then, like, put more in the back half so that I actually, like, gave a shit about some of the prep school characters and, like, understood why everything wrapped up so perfectly at the end. Because, like, it really is a picture-perfect ending, which, it's a YA novel. That's to be expected. That's fine. But, like, I need some padding in there in between, like, we're gonna burn the world down to, like... I'm back at my house and everything's totally chill and literally nobody is talking about what just happened. Yeah. Like, what? Epilogues. <laughs> just anything. Anything. Just, like, show that she's still an activist. At least it, just that. Like, just show that she's, like, at, like, a Black Lives Matter, like, meeting. Or, like, some, just anything. Don't just have her be back at her house and everything's chill. I've heard people comment about this, that like with the protests that are going on now, if you look to some other instances of major world events, one of the Hollywood endings problem is that Hollywood loves to have things wrap up and the protest part is over. And now we're in the redemption of the the world. And it's like, it doesn't happen that way. It turns out it's a long, drawn out, horribly repetitive process of, I mean, of fighting for how rights over how and over long again. how long did it take for Germany to like figure their shit out and fix their shit up after World War II? Like so fucking long. Like they didn't tear down that Berlin Wall and that was put up. That, like that was like forty or fifty years of having that wall separating yeah. like East and West Berlin. Yeah. 
It's like, Jesus. And it took a riot to tear that down. Yeah. That wasn't because of um, Germany, though. That was because of Stalin. Like Stalin no, I know. But still, it's still, like, all of the, a- that's still part of the after effects of World yes. War II. It's like, just, just that, just all of that and fixing that was at least, like, half a century. Yeah. Like, this shit is not quick. It's not fast. Um, and it, it reminds me of the pandemic too. And sometimes in discussions with people, this is for, this is for both the protests and thing. It's like, there's a sense in which, where's the deadline? Where does things just go yeah. back to normal? I'm like, it's a long, gradual, and it isn't even just a gradual, like weaning down. There might be spikes back up. There might yeah. be huge lull weeks that will then need to be like, that was a mistake and we need to get back on it. Right. And it can go anywhere. And, and it's not, it's not even a get back yeah. to normal. Like at this point no, with everything that's exactly. going on, there isn't, there's no, we're not going back. We're not going back to what life was like in January. Like that's just, it's not happening. It's the world is not going to look that way anymore. I don't know how it's going to look between the protests and the pandemic and the fact that, you know, a third of the globe is on fire still and nobody's talking about that anymore um one of many things no one's talking about anymore elections or the, or the climate fact that change it's like, a lot of people are still talking about elections um or the fact that it's 20 degrees in the antarctic right now and everybody's like chill we're we can't deal with that right now we don't have time <laughs> like it's but it's just, true the world is never go- <laughs> it's true it's all happening yeah. But the world is never going to look the same. There's no going back to what mm-hmm. we had in January because what we had in January was ignorance, was yeah. not understanding how everything, like ignorant of the pandemic and what that meant for the world, ignorant of what real hand washing means, <laughs> ignorant of how how bad climate change has really gotten, ignorant of how systemic oppression is in most Western countries and how frightening that is for a large portion of populations of those Western countries. Like, we, you can't come back from all of that change. Yeah. There's no way to go back to what it was before, and I don't know what it's going to be. And I don't know how long it's going to take to get there. I'm excited for, the, like, obviously this that's all terrifying. <laughs> but it's like, in terms of media, I'm excited that um, there is not just there has been stuff coming out, but there is now like even more impetus to get stuff out there that's really discussing the future that we're now facing. We're going to see stuff in the post-corona world, in the post-climate change world. And people have been writing about certain things like this. Well, of course, yeah, climate change. It's like post-climate change. I mouthed that, so that wasn't on mic. But post-climate change world? What I mean, no, but I mean, as it starts happening, as it starts happening, that that we actually have to be dealing with the consequences. And so when people are going to be writing about these things, it's 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 exciting in a bad way, but in a certain way, it's like I'm interested to see people write about actual and and or make media about actual solutions or what we can do or what the new world looks like so can you yeah excitement i just i had a moment but like if the world doesn't actually burn from the inside out because we've destroyed it to such a degree can you imagine when we're like 50 or 60 they're gonna make a movie about 2020 yes like they're going to and like i just i i want it to come out when i'm still alive so that I can go to the movies and be like, didn't happen like that. 
That's all I want. I just want to be able to be like, mm. like, I just want to be super critical about the history that we're living in right now. I hope it comes out when we're still alive. It's I nice. bet it's I- going to be shit. Because the only other like really major event I can think of is nine eleven, and there's tons of movies about it. I haven't, I never watched any of them. I never. Picked I've up watched a couple, but they're like real hard American propaganda. Like even uh, the like really big ones, like the really like blockbustery ones. I watched a couple of them. I watched one that was oh, like God. about the actual hijacking. So like the whole that thing just was making me think. What if like the 2021s are all like how Antifa destroyed America? Well, I mean, if type. we lose. Like, that's what it's going to be. If we lose, that's what it's going to be. For sure. For sure. History's written by the winners. That's what it's going to be. But, like, I've seen a couple of those movies. I saw the one that had... Fuck, who was in it? Michael Pena, maybe? That one wasn't bad. I like... But that's... I like him as an actor. But he played a cop in that um, who was, like, there at Ground Zero. And then I watched the one that's, like, on the plane. They're Like, they're fine. They're not... They're they're not great. You know? Mm -hmm. They're, like... They're, like, you're, like any sort of disaster movie is they're like more serious than a die hard but kind of around the same quality even though i love die hard but die hard knows that it's like funny like mm-hmm. it knows it's dumb whereas those are like real serious and then i saw zero dark 32 which isn't technically about 9-11 but it's not not about it either do you remember back in like 2016 when the only thing we were really worried about was like the bees were dying and everyone made a joke about Donald Trump. You mean Trump before Trump was elected? Because people yeah. were definitely worried no, about that. People were worried about it. But when that first became a thing, everyone was like, he'll never win. Nobody believed he would win when he first started running. Everybody was like, whatever. That's never going to fucking happen. And the only thing we were worried about was like, the bees are dying. That's a problem. And guess what? The bees are still dying. And it was a problem. But now we have to worry about 87 other things. Anything else you want to add? about uh, the hate you give um i'm gonna call us out and say we did not realize that it was a hundred percent like a tree poem and the hate you give actually spells out thug oh yes <laughs> despite how many books how many of those books you shelved mm-hmm. and how many times we looked at the title card on crave and cineplex that is literally her holding up a poster that spells out thug with the hate you give I knew there's something. And I feel. I still feel so fucking dumb about it. Yeah. I, still I knew there's something so with the U because obviously it's spelled with just the letter U instead yeah. of Y O U. But I would just think like it's Y A. They do weird stuff like that all the time. I literally thought just, nothing past. That. And it's in another color too. That's the worst part. It's like the T H U and G are in red, and then the rest of the letters are in black. And still, we were like, we hit play on mm-hmm. that movie, and both of us at the exact same time, we're like, oh. My God, I can't believe I just realized that. I'm so embarrassed. I'm still so embarrassed. As somebody who took literary studies, I'm like really mad at myself for not realizing it. And that was a really dumb moment. Mm-hmm. Great movie. Yeah. Um, excited to see what we pick up for next week. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> we really um, no, join us next time. For more ramblings, I don't know. Follow us on Twitter. Um, Dragon Ball Z. (laughs) Follow us on Twitter at at Fans Lab Pod. I think that's what it is. Yikes. (laughs) I'm like 90% sure it's at Fans Lab Pod. Look. We're just going to have a trail out ending. Then all of this is being (laughs) done.